three words and three words only, shoot that thing. That was awesome. Thank you, Amanda, very much for blessing us with that. All right, if you want to take your Bibles tonight, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Um, how many of y'all watch Home and Garden television? Yeah, yeah, you know, if you don't watch Home and Garden TV, we got to have cable, I guess, to get it. But yeah, Home and Garden TV. And you know, they got lots of shows on there. Um, and one I, 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 I have a love-hate relationship with and don't watch it too often, but it's that flip or flop thing. Y'all, y'all got that one? Y'all watch that? You know, I heard, by the way, that they got a divorce, and they're still, like, pretending like they're together on TV. Isn't that weird? I think, like, trying the Joe and Chip thing on that other show, whatever it is. I, I don't remember what that one is. Fix it up or something. But anyway, so, so they got Flip or Flop, and Flip and Flop was such a big success that they decided to do, like, sequels in different places. And so they did, like, Flip or Flop Las Vegas. And, so, and, and then, and now I guess they got Flip or Flop Atlanta. And then I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, I've heard they're going to do flip or flop muddy. It's just what I've heard. I don't know if it's true or not. I've heard that, that that's true. But, but that's not my favorite. Well, actually, I, I guess I don't have a favorite show. Actually, I do have a favorite show, and it's House Hunters International. Because, again, I've, I really like the international flair and to see people living in different places. But along that same line is I really like the, the uh, Beachfront Bargain Hunt show. Y'all seen that one? You know, you, you beach hunt, bargain hunt, and they, they go to different places, and sometimes it's like, you know, like on a lake, and sometimes it's, it's like in America, and sometimes it's down in the Caribbean, and it's all different places, and, and they look for properties, and they're like cheap, you know? Well, kind of like sort of cheap. I've not found one that I can afford yet, um, but, but it's cheaper, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they should call it beach hunt, bargain hunt is cheaper. I don't know that. You know, but, but the bottom line is, is this, y'all got to know where this is. You've got to try to think, does he have a point in this? It's been that kind of a day, folks. That's all I got to say. It's been that kind of a day. But anyway, you know, the, the point is this, is that beachfront property is a hot commodity. I mean, you really, it's a place you want to be. There. And they all say when you find the beachfront, you know, you got it there, and they go, oh, it's so wonderful living in paradise. You know, have y'all heard, have y'all seen this? Y'all, y'all, am, I, am I right on all this, you know? And so here's the deal. It's prime real estate. But for the believer, perhaps there is better prime real estate. And that is at the foot of the cross. You know, I love the words of the hymn this morning that I read. And we're all talking about all the things of the world that would gladly lay aside um, beneath the cross of Jesus. And the, probably the primest real estate, and it's hard for us to imagine, so I really won't camp there, is on the cross itself. That we as believers, we take up our cross and we die to self. But just being at the foot of the cross, the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ's cross, is a great place. It's prime real estate. Well, Keith and Kristen Getty wrote a song, and I found this while I was researching the other message. And they are, um, I think they're... Scottish? Is that right? Anybody know? They're Scottish or Irish or something. I don't know, but they're something like that. And, and they're just really, they're just, they're real gospel-oriented people. And they wrote this song entitled, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And my first thought was, what they did was is write new words to the old melody. And they didn't. And they just claimed the title. They used the title and the idea of Beneath the Cross um, 
but really it's not the same words and it's not the same melody either. But, the, but where that talks about that prime real estate. And, and I'll try to read it in sync with what it would be metered in the music uh, so it reads like a poem. Uh, but it says this. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand and wonder at such mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me come. Beneath the cross of Jesus, my unworthy soul is one. Isn't that beautiful? Go like this. It's beautiful. And then, and this, this is the verse I really want you to hear. This is where it's totally different, and so you've got to hear it. Beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. Now let me pause there, because what did we talk about this morning? Who was at the foot of the cross of Jesus? Mary, right. So in a narrow sense, his family was at the foot of the cross. But, but Keith and Kristen are writing about something bigger. He's writing about the family of God. The family of God. And this all fits into the scripture tonight. Beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. One stranger chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. How could I now dishonor the ones, the family, that you have loved? Beneath the cross of Jesus, see the children called by God. And the last verse is like this. Beneath the cross of Jesus, the path before the crown, we follow in his footsteps where promised hope is found. How great the joy before us to be, his perfect bride. Beneath the cross of Jesus, we will gladly live our lives. So how do you live in this prime real estate beneath the cross, in the shadow of the cross of Jesus? And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us some instructions on how to live. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of crisis mode because it's finally occurred to me that Blake is going to take my daughter and my three precious grandsons about, man, how far was it to Seoul? 3,000, 4,000 miles, 3,000 miles probably. When we went to the Philippines, we landed in Seoul. Anyway, this, he's going to take them to Korea, of all places, to South Korea. And it finally occurred to me that that's a long way away. You know, Savannah, you can drive anytime you want to take a drive, and, and, and I can't do that. And uh, so it's, it's just different thing, but, but in a humorous sense, I think about these two southern Illinois kids, and boy, that's what they are, going to Korea and adjusting to that culture. And it, I kind of want to give them a crash course, on, course, like I know, how do you live in Korea? Because the customs and everything are so different. Well, at the foot of the cross, the lifestyle and the customs are totally different from the world. And that's really what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5. Let's read. In Galatians 5:13, this is these first six words, seven words are just incredible. For you were called to be free. Someone say amen. You were called to be free. Brother Dave Nave sang that song for us Wednesday night a week ago. 
and I've, I've managed to get it wrong every time. Uh, this is how it feels to be free is what I kept saying that night. But I think the song says this is what it means. So, what, what is it? This is how it feels to be free. And this is what it means to be free. I am forgiven. And there is, listen, there is such freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, you've got to get a hold of this tonight. Because I'm telling you, as a kid, as a, as a man now, and as a kid who grew up in church, all I heard most of my life was all about you've got to be the rule man. You've got to be the rule man. And boy, if you don't keep the rules. And you've heard me say this over and over again. But it's so true. In so many churches, all we hear is you know that being a Christian is a no religion. No, no, no. Well, let me just tell you something. God says yes, yes, yes. More than he says no, no, no. And every time he says no, no, no. It's for our good, not for our punishment. You've got to grasp and get a hold of that. Being a Christian is the most free, listen, being a Christian, a Christ follower, is the most freeing thing that there is. And Paul says to this Galatian church who is slipping back into the law and saying, for you were called not to bondage, but you were called to be free. Free from what, you might say? Well, one, we're free, and you should celebrate this, we are free from the penalty of sin. You would shout like, like crazy Baptists if we could understand how bad hell is. If we could get a moment of understanding about the eternal punishment that every person faces and what we would have faced, but by the grace of God and our acceptance of that grace, we could not keep quiet when we think about that the penalty for my sin will never be held against me because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are free from the penalty of sin. My sin, the penalty for my sin, will never be held against me. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ, it will never be It's not even going... Listen, have you ever... Men, we, 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 we never do this, but women do this all the time. Our wives do this all the time. You know, have, have you ever done something stupid... Well, that's what men. That, well, that's what men do. Terry, you want to have the altar call now? Talk about lying. <laughs> yes, because that's exactly what I was going to tell you, Terry. You say you don't remember. Yes, you do, because Linda reminds you. That's what I was going to say. We men, we go and we do something incredibly stupid and we tell you know, God that, we tell our wives, tell God, we tell Him too, but we tell our wives, we're so sorry for that. And we think it's a done deal. <laughs> yeah, two weeks later, she brings it up again and you go, but I thought that was forgiven. Yeah, but it's not forgotten. The penalty of your sin will never be a topic with God. When it's put under the blood, man, it is put under the blood. It is forgiven. as cast as far as the east is from the west. So we are free men and women tonight. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the... Oh, this is a big one. This is one I still wrestle with. I raise my hand and say I do. We are free from the guilt of sin. Now the accuser, Jim, the accuser loves to come to us. And he'll remind us. And the accuser, of course, is, the, is Satan, the evil one. He loves to come. He loves to remind us of our failures. 
He loves to keep bringing up the past, bringing up the past, bringing up the past. And sometimes we just do that. We just, we just want to cling to it and hold on to it. But the truth is that we are free from the guilt of sin. We have been declared righteous before God. We have declared justified, justified before God. We are declared right before Him in right standing. So not only are we free from the penalty of sin, but we are free from the guilt of sin. But it doesn't stop there. We are free also from the power of sin. Now again, I'm still learning this. I'm learning that that doesn't mean that I muster up enough energy not to sin. It means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have the power over sin. Not, not Dwayne. But the power of the Holy Spirit living within me that I have the ability through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to have the power over sin. Sin no longer holds me in bondage and never holds you in bondage once you trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm telling you what, we, I was thinking there's a song, and Nita, you need to find this one for me. You know, free from the law, oh blessed, free from the law, oh, isn't that how it goes? Well, guess what? Not only am I free from the penalty of sin, I'm free from the guilt of sin, I'm free from the power of sin, I'm free from the expectations of the law. The law points its finger at me and says, I'm wrong, but I'm not under the law. Boy, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. So I'm free from the expectations and the condemnation of the law. So when Paul says that you were called to be free, thank God for that. Because there is such wonderful living in that, in that spot beneath the cross of Jesus, that prime real estate, it's a free land. It's a free land. Free from the penalty, free from the guilt, free from the power, and free from the expectations of the law. Then he goes on and says this. For you're called to be free... But then he says, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Because mm. I tell you, there's a real, there's apparently, there was in the Galatian church, and there's, it's probably true in churches across America today, there's this propensity for us, this tendency for us to, to use that grace thing. We become grace abusers, Lloyd. Grace abusers. Oh, well, I'm under grace, so I can live like I want to. No. In fact, the greater motivation... Listen, what the law of God would not motivate you to do, love will. I said this before. I'm committed to my wife, Judy Taylor. I'm not committed because there's somewhere there's a piece of paper filed that says on June the 26th, 1975, I married her. I'm committed to her because of my love for her. And you should be committed to God and to Jesus Christ and desire to obey Him and love Him because of your love for Him. Amen? So, but Paul warns and says, now don't use this freedom as an opportunity to obey the flesh, to serve the flesh. Rather, he says, but serve one another through love. So this freedom we have is not, yeah, this is good. The freedom we have is not for our benefit as much as it is for the benefit of others. 
Remember what I said this morning? While Jesus, you know, there's a song about that too. Today was song day. While he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Remember that song? So here, here he's on the cross, and what is he thinking about? Others, others, others. And while we're living at the foot of the cross, or if you want to go a step further and allow yourself to be crucified on the cross, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet understand then that, that that is all about loving and serving others. It's not about us. Don't use this liberty, this freedom, for the flesh. Rather, use it as an opportunity to serve one another. Uh, I think the Wearsby Commentary came up with something I thought was pretty good. Now listen carefully. Again, let me go back again. Verse 13. For you were called to be free. You were called to be free. Liberty plus love equals serving others. Liberty plus love equals serving others. Liberty minus love equals serving self. If you take love out of the liberty, it becomes self-serving. What you do is for you and for you alone. The men wrestled with this. Remember? They were arguing on the way. You know what they arguing on the way about? Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? The last scripture we're going to look at tonight, if we make it all the way through, talks about that. It's just a self-serving thing. And Paul says, don't use your liberty as an opportunity to serve yourself. Rather, use the opportunity to love others. And I love this. And don't miss this. Look what it says in verse 14. For the entire law, how much? Yeah, yeah. The entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, I bet, I bet sometimes people say, why do you spend so much time talking about how we treat others? Well, because the entire law is filled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a big deal. Because see, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't lie, you won't steal, you won't cheat, you won't hate, you won't be bitter. And Paul says, the entire law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the Galatian church, they have moved in because of the fear of license, the, the fear of, of people not obeying the law. They thought they had to do something, so what they become? They became legalists. They returned back to the law. They discarded grace and returned back to the law. And the result of that is this. Look at verse 15. But if you, divide, if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. See, without love, there's a very real danger. If you have this freedom and you take away love, it becomes this, becomes this also, not only does it become license, it becomes, the opposite of that could be legalism. And you turn on one another. Because when your life is driven by keeping the rules, if you have to do a better job at keeping the rules than someone else, what do you do? You judge. You judge. I'm better than you because I keep rule number 14, 15, 16, and you only keep rule 13 and 14. I'm better than you. It's a natural danger. It's a natural tendency for us when we focus on keeping the rules that we who are keeping the rules better than someone else, we judge them. 
So, so Paul says, don't let that happen. If you bite and devour one another, the, the imagery is a pack of wolves, a pack of wolves that turn on themselves. How many of you have ever seen Piranha? You ever seen watch the National Geographic Channel? And, and you see, and, and the fish are in the water, and if one of the piranhas get nicked and starts bleeding, guess what happens? He's part of the meal. Does that happen in Baptist churches? Mm, boy, it does. Boy, does it. And he says, be careful. Don't bite and devour one another. And that happens if you don't love your neighbor as yourself. So he says in verse 16, So I say then, walk by the Spirit. That means follow, submit, and live. Walk by the Spirit, capital S. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So, if we rely on the Holy Spirit, not on our own selves, not on our ability to somehow keep the rules, if we rely on the Holy Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And I know that means a lot of things. But you know what I think it means? Primarily, I think it means we leave the cross. That prime real estate, you know, you let a couple own beachfront property and have one too many hurricanes, and then finally say, that's enough, we're moving. It means that we move away from the cross. It, it, it means that, see, the flesh hates the cross. Your flesh doesn't like being nailed to a cross. It doesn't want to die. It wants to thrive. So Paul says that if we allow this, we don't walk by the Spirit. If we don't submit and follow the Holy Spirit then we're going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. In fact, he says, verse 17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit. The flesh. And I'm not talking about the body, the old, the, old, the old man. The old man desires what is against the spirit. And that's true. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. That's true. They're at odds to one another. The things that God loves, the flesh hates. The things the flesh loves, God hates. And that's a constant tension that we live until we get to heaven. These are opposed to each other, Paul says, so that you don't do what you want. But here's what he says. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I do not know if this is going to work or not, but I'm going to throw it out there because it came to me this afternoon. Y'all know that I've been on a diet thing. And I'm not talking... I've talked to you individually, but I've tried not to mention from the pulpit. You know, I think last time I did this, I talked about it, sang about it, preached about it, prayed about it. You know, and I've tried not to do that. But the bottom line is, I thought about this today when I was doing this. Uh, I lost 51 pounds. Yeah, take 10 pounds, 10 bags of 5 pounds of potatoes and time on your body. That's about 25% of my body weight. That's a lot. That's a lot. And I sit there going, wow, that's a lot. And, and invariably, the question comes this. How did you do it? And I go, well, it begins with the doctor saying you're diabetic. Then you kind of like having ten toes. So you decide you probably ought to do something right instead of all the things wrong. And so you stop eating pecan pie. It grieves my heart to even say it. 
You quit eating pecan pie and apple pie and banana nut cake and about everything else. You draw an infection for sugar-free pudding. Um, you walk five miles a day, five days a week, 25 miles a week. And uh, guess what? You lose 50 pounds. But here's the problem. There's two problems. I don't know anyone who's done this and done it for the rest of their life. And two, I don't know if I want to do it for the rest of my life. I, I did this by keeping the law. I've lost this weight by keeping the law. But I don't know if I want to do that for the rest of my life that way. Well, so what I've got to do is I've got to find a way to make sure my mindset stays changed so that I enjoy life the way it is. If it means no pecan pie. Well, if it worked halfway, can you see a little bit of analogy? Because what Paul really says in verse number 18, he says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, and the word there in the Greek is willing surrender. If you're willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit, then you don't have to be under the law. And, and somehow, if I can get it in my brain that, yeah, yeah, you've got some rules you're going to have to live by, Dwayne, but don't let that be the driving force. Let the willing surrender to really obeying, obeying God in your dietary habits. Let it be a sacrifice to God. And guess what? All of a sudden, it's not quite as bad as it was. God doesn't want us under the confines of the law. He wants us willingly following the Holy Spirit. And finding a way to willingly follow the Holy Spirit is much better than trying to live under the law. Amen. Amen. So now he goes in this long list, because remember he said in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh. Okay, so what does that look like? What are the desires of the flesh? Well, he tells us in verse number 19. He starts out with three sexual sins. He says this, now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Now, again, the Wearsby commentary, uh, probably written a little bit different era, but it's so true. It specifically says three. One is fornication. Two is adultery. And three is homosexuality. Okay? So those are three sins, sexual immoral sins. Adultery, fornication, and homosexuality. I don't care what society says. Then it says moral impurity. And moral impurity is just a constant, it's a lifestyle, it's an attitude, it's a mindset of immorality. Okay? It's, it's, it's frankly where our culture lives. In fact, our culture lives in promiscuity, which is, listen to this, promiscuity is unashamed boldness and sexual sin. And Paul says, first three things, those are like, those are like, Top of the list, things that the world does. So if the world does them, guess who doesn't do them? Us. Us. Then he moves into a religious sin, idolatry, and anything, listen carefully, anything in your life that comes before God is an idol. Anything that comes into your life before God is an idol, including your grandchildren, your children, your husband, or your wife. If it comes before God, notice I didn't say before church, I said if it comes before God, then that's an idol. Then he says sorcery. And this is interesting because 
back in that time, the sorcery would have been the use of, um, of sorcery and the purpose of some kind of religious worship, false religious worship. But the truth is, sorcery is the word pharmaceutica, which is the Greek word where we get our word pharmacy. So not only did it involve, not only involve false worship, but involved the use of drugs in false worship. Well, we probably don't have that going on. So then we got eight societal sins. Now, these carry, these carry as much weight as the first three and the second two. Okay? As big as the first three were and the second two, these are no less important. And this is where it hits home. Uh, let's see here. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy. I don't think those need any explanation. I think we've really got what all those mean. And Paul says, verse 17 again, for the desires, for the flesh desires was against the spirit. These are the things that are against the spirit. And those are eight societal sins. And then our Baptist favorite one is drunkenness. Okay, we've got two more. So we started out with three, we went to two, we went to eight, now we've got two more. Drunkenness and carousing. Drunkenness is what it says. Carousing is orgies with a sexual flair used in worship. Go figure that one out. And Paul says those things are the things of the flesh. And he said, anything like that, he goes, I, listen, you need to hear this. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things, the word practice there, no doubt, but it says it, if, if this is your habitual lifestyle, if this is a continual factor in your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, ain't saved. Now, I didn't say that. Paul did. And I didn't say, oops, I slipped up. When this becomes a continual part of your life, then he says you're not part of the kingdom of God. Now, we're okay with the sexual sin thing because we did mess up. We asked God to forgive us and hope we'll never do it again. Okay, we're going to give you that one, okay, the first three. Okay, um, probably, let's see, idolatry. Well, got anything you worship? Houses, cars, power, titles. Hmm. Sorcery, probably not. Hatreds, strife, jealousy. Outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, any of those? See, these things, listen, these things are so foreign to the born-again person, they just can't be a part of our lives. Would y'all think it was weird if I could have a baby? I never said that before from a pulpit. <laughs> Wouldn't you think that was just, like, strange? Well, Paul's saying these things are so foreign to being a Christian. They just can't be a part of your life. And if they are, it's a sign that something's wrong. Are you following me? It's huge, guys. Huge. He goes on now in verse 22 and says this. Now, the fruit of the Spirit. Ah, now we know this one. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I like this. Again, Wearsby said this. You know, he said the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruit of self-effort. He doesn't say that as a believer, I have produced these things. 
I've got these things through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So here they are. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now remember, oh, oh I need to go back. Hang on a second. I need to go back and read that again. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. Okay? So these are the things of the Spirit, and the flesh hates them. The flesh hates them. Love, agape, sacrificial. Joy. Happiness that's not determined by your outside circumstances. Peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Patience. Courageous endurance. Kindness. What it says. Goodness. Love in action. Faith. How we live. How we walk. How we exist. Gentleness. Which is really meekness. Which is power under control. We had that just a week or so ago. Self-control. Temperance. I think one of the translations says. Self-control. Against these things, there's just no law, Paul says. So, these are things that the flesh hates, but the Spirit loves. And then this, this is, remember I said the kids are going to Korea, and they're going to have to adapt the culture of Korea? Well, if you're going to live at the foot of the cross, this, yes, this is the culture at the foot of the cross. Not that other stuff. That other stuff is not allowed at the foot of the cross. The culture at the foot of the cross is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such these things, there is no law. Now, interestingly enough, we're going to circle all the way around now to this morning. Look what it says. Now, those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Paul saying Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. So Paul says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those things have died. They're dead. So since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. You know, Judy's got this amazing thing with flowers. I mean, as she plants it, it kind of lives. If you've been by our yard recently... It's like flower heaven. And, and I know what she does. Sometimes I know. She'll, she'll like cultivate the ground. She'll dig around in it, you know. She mixes in some miracle grow and she waters it the right amount. She, she sets an environment for success in growing things. That's what that verse says. Since we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. If we want to have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, and if we want to get rid of that other list of our lives, if we want to stay dead, we've got to follow the Spirit. We can't do it. I'm telling you right now, I'm just going to tell you right now, if it's up to me to keep this 51 pounds off, it ain't going to happen. God's going to have to do something. Because I've just got too much of an affection for food. Me and food go way back. 
way back. So if it's going to happen, for health's sake, God's going to have to help me. And I'm going to have to reach a mindset that I'm not deprived. I'm satisfied. Now, he closes up with this. And this is so good. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here's the three words I wrote in my little margin. You need to hear this tonight. Success breeds pride. Let me say it again in the mic louder. Success breeds pride. The great danger is the more successful we are, I'm going to put that in quotes, the more successful we are as believers, the greater danger of pride. And the reason why is we have this crazy tendency to believe we do it. And guess what? We don't. Any success we enjoy as believers is simply us surrendering to the Holy Spirit who does it through us. So be careful. That's the danger of the law. You know, the Pharisees were, were such condemners because they saw themselves as successful keeping the law. So be careful. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we've been granted this prime real estate at the foot of the cross and perhaps on the cross, but for our sake tonight, at the foot of the cross. It's valuable real estate. But if we're going to live there, then we got it. Don't they have what they call HOV? Is it HOV? What's that place where you pay the money to people in the neighborhood? HOA. HOA Homeowners Association fees. Well, love and joy and serving one another. That's expected at the foot of the cross. That other stuff, you're going to have to find a different neighborhood. You're going to find a different neighborhood. And believe me, life is good at the foot of the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing tonight. Oh, God, help us, help me to live at the foot of the cross. Help me to desire that. As much as those people in that TV show so desire to have beachfront property, a thousand times more, put it within our hearts the desire to be near the cross. The old song says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And that is our desire. I want to pray, Father, for death. Death of pride and envy and those sexual sins and the sins that were listed as societal sins. May those die in our life. And I want to pray for life tonight. Life of following the Spirit with love and joy and peace and all the things that are listed there. God, may we guard our prime real estate at the foot of the cross. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.